0: Well, hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And how the heck are you? See, I cleaned up my act. I didn't say, how the hell are you? I'm trying to be more polite. And the reason is that I just had a full-scale Jewish immersion. I had Rosh Hashanah, and then I had Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is heavy duty. So for those not in the know, the deal is that the books open on Rosh Hashanah. So it's festive. It's like Happy Jewish New Year. The books open, a new beginning, new chance, you know, new, new, new. Not really a chance for you to change everything. But Yom Kippur gets to be kind of solemn because that's like when the books close. So it's like your last-ditch effort to repent for your sins, to do better, to ask for forgiveness, to forgive, you know. I mean, it gets very holy. And you're supposed to fast, you're supposed to have your last meal before the first night of Yom Kippur, and then not have another meal until after the sun goes down, I think like an hour after sundown, the second night. Well, growing up, we never had to fast the whole day because we were kids, so my parents had mercy on us, and they would my mother would package usually like a cheese sandwich, and we'd walk on the boardwalk when we got out of the synagogue, and around 3 o'clock, we were allowed to have the cheese sandwich. Looking back on it, I always felt bad for my parents because they continued to fast until after sundown. And not so easy when you're watching all your kids pigging out on cheese sandwiches, you know? It was me, I'd be like, you know, give me some of that cheese sandwich. And so, over the years, I've done my own version of it, but I finally came to what worked for me, which is that I would try um, as much as possible to not eat from sundown before the first night, what we call Kol Nidre, till after sundown the second night. But... If you're really a religious Jew, you're really fasting, you're also not drinking, not even water, and you're not supposed to bathe, and you're not supposed to brush your teeth, and you're not supposed to make yourself look pretty, and you're not supposed to have sex. I mean, we're talking about full-scale starvation here, you know? So, eh, you know, I don't, I try not to eat, and usually I succeed, but I let myself drink, and every year that rule has stayed the same except pretty much if you can drink it, it's open season. So that includes having a smoothie, which I did last year, or having some heated up chicken broth, which I did this year. But I'm still not eating, right? I'm not eating, baby. I'm just drinking. So whatever. That's how I do my thing. Anyway, it's kind of a serious holiday and it's been kind of cool to be able to watch some of it on Zoom because it used to be I would go to some and miss some, but now with the Zoom, I I can kind of watch it all. So we went for Yom Kippur services at the Javits Center in New York City because it was so popular. I mean, my synagogue gets so popular on Yom Kippur that they have to rent out the Javits Center, which is like Coliseum. And they've had up to like 6,000 people there for services. It's crazy. The sad thing is that you also have to go through a metal detector to get in now. And they have to search your bags. And all of that's really sad to think about. It didn't used to be like that. But um, this is life these days. But the Chabot Center, where it is, it's also really cool because it's all these big giant windows. And so... While you're watching the service, you're seeing birds fly. And on the last night of Yom Kippur, they don't turn the lights on. So you're watching the sun go down, and it's getting darker and darker and darker. And after a while, the only thing you can see is the candle that's lit on the bima, you know, the sort of podium, what we call the bima. And um, it's just kind of gorgeous and beautiful, and there's a gorgeous choir. So of course, since I go to the world's largest gay and lesbian synagogue, thank you very much, called Congregation Beth Simchat Torah, or just CBST for short. Uh, of course, since we're gay, they have a choir that could be in a Broadway show. I mean, like, huge talent. One year, Joan Rivers and Isaac Mizrahi were sitting on the front row. This year, Andy Cohen went up to open the ark. I mean, you know, it's like an all-star Broadway-level synagogue, you know, but that's not what it's all about. I mean, everyone's welcome, whether they're gay or straight or black or white or anything in between or man or woman or who knows or who cares. You know, everybody's welcome. Whether you believe in God or not, you're all welcome. It's in some ways, it's like being at a big giant Al-Anon meeting. Anyway, it's really cool. And so every year I say, you know, I, I get so much out of the services and I say, I'm going to go more often. I'll go for Shabbos for the Sabbath or I'll go for other occasions. But in fact, I never do. I don't drag my butt back to shul. That's the synagogue until the next high holiday. So I'm a high holiday Jew. That's what I am. But Diana, I get there. So Who cares? Anyway, so the way Catholics go to confession, you go maybe every day if you're feeling guilty or once a week or once a month, whatever. The Jewish thing is that we just do a big giant version of that once a year. So between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're repenting for our sins, we're trying to do better. And as we get closer and closer and closer to sundown, that second night of Yom Kippur, we're really in a mad dash to you know get it right because that's when all the judgment's happening you know according to the Jewish religion so that's when God's deciding who will live and who will die and who will do well and who will do badly so part of it is that you you know want to do well in the judgment part too so it's a little selfish it's not so much that you want to be better and do better but you also want the one up there to see you're doing better and maybe you know kind of go light on you you know I mean, people are dropping dead left and right around this world. So so it's a holy thing. So on the first sign of Yom Kippur, Lila and I went with our dear friends, Gina and Luna, and we had a great dinner, big giant pig out dinner, because you're going to fast. Luna and I were fasting. If you want to have a nice big meal. So I had some gluten-free meatloaf, like a turkey meatloaf, gluten-free It was really good. Let me tell you, I normally cannot get meatloaf, this restaurant, everything was gluten-free. It was exciting. It was downright exciting. I can't even say that. Downright exciting. There, finally said it. There comes my southern accent. So I had me a big old plate of turkey and I think it had some beef in it, meatloaf. It was great. I was so full I couldn't eat for a day anyway. And then we had the services, which were beautiful and moving, except they cranked up the air conditioner too much. So we were freezing our tufas off and, you know, complaining about it, which made me feel more Jewish because, you know, complaining is all part of being Jewish. Anyway, next day, I watched all the services on Zoom from my apartment while my cardinals came and I fed my cardinals if you've been paying attention, we had Fredina, that's transgender Fred, the boy cardinal, who's like male head, female body. He came and I had Frank and Fred. That's the really blotchy looking weird male cardinal. That's like Frankenstein, the cardinal. And so the girls have not been coming only the boys, the girls I haven't seen for several days because they're sitting on the babies or the eggs or whatever they're sitting on. And the boys are getting all the food And then I guess they're going back and throwing up in the mouth of the girls. Today, I actually saw Frankie came for food and then went up on the railing and threw up in the mouth of a female bird, which I'm assuming was Franny. So that sounds downright disgusting, I know. But I guess if you're a bird, that's like a big compliment. Hey, baby, let me throw up in your mouth. I remember Lila and I went to get a facial from my good friend Mamie, who's one of the most talented skincare specialists in the universe. As a matter of fact, if you're a superstar and you're chocolate, Mamie's probably responsible for your beautiful skin. She's been responsible for the beautiful skin of Queen Latifah, Angela Bassett, Kerry Washington. I mean, you name it. She is the skincare specialist of the gods and... She works out of her swank apartment in New Jersey, and she has all these birds. She loves birds. And so we went, and she did a beautiful job on my girlfriend's skin. She had like a two-hour, three-hour-long facial forever. And her bird, which I guess it's, um, what do you call like the bird that Beretta had? It's not a parrot. I can't remember the name of it. You know, the big, giant birds that talk to you, sort of like the granddaddy of parrots. I'll think of it one day, probably after the show's over today. But you know what I mean. Anyway, she had one of these big, giant birds. And he fell in love with Lila. He fell in love with her. So I thought he was sick. He kept throwing up. Like he would scream at her and then throw up. I'm like, what happened to the bird? But Mamie explained that he fell in love with Lila. And he's throwing up because he wants to feed her. So that's a big compliment. He wants to throw up his food into her mouth. So I guess if a bird really, really loves you he wants to throw up in your mouth which kind of makes me feel like eh, maybe don't love me so much you know just like me and keep your food in your stomach and not throw up you know but thank god people don't do that hey baby I think you're really hot and I love you let me throw up in your mouth no kind of makes you want to puke just thinking about it but I digress par usual well anyway I was all holy and in the Yom Kippur thing and please forgive me and I'll do better. And I did all of that, all of that Hazarai and what can I do and how can I be better? And, you know, purged it, you know? And so now I finished purging that a couple of days ago and then I had my big meal. Thank God, because I really did fast. I mean, like a coffee mug of chicken broth was not enough for this girl. So... I broke my fast with Indian food. I had some chicken curry in a tomato gravy that was very, very yummy. And I went to sleep feeling like a good little Jewish girl. So now here we are a couple of days later. I'm still feeling kind of holy, like I've cleansed my soul just a little bit. But the reality is that I'm just not that religious. You know, I'm like I said, I'm a high holiday Jew. So I feel like if someone was listening up there, I think that he, she, because I think God is male and female equally, not one or the other. Thank you very much. I think that they heard, you know, so maybe I can play lotto and maybe I'll win or maybe I get to live another year. You know, hopefully I got some good brownie points. And so, but it got me into this week feeling kind of spiritual. The other thing that got me feeling kind of spiritual that was kind of trippy was that since I got COVID a couple of weeks ago, I stayed home and isolated for six days. And then I tested negative and I tested negative again twice. So called my doctor and he's like, well, you know, you're not contagious anymore. You can go out, but wear a mask for a while because there's a flu going around and you're You're very weak from fighting COVID. In fact, it actually took me another week to bounce back. I mean, I got past the having a cold feeling of COVID. But I had this low energy thing from hell. There I said hell. Where basically I was like a zombie. So I had six days of feeling like I had a cold. And then a week of being like a zombie. And then when I finally kind of stopped feeling like a zombie, it started raining. And it rained every day for three days. So I'm like, for crying out loud, I'm getting out of my zombie brain and everyone else is in their zombie brain. So anyway, it wasn't so bad being a zombie brain and staying home, especially when it started raining. I kind of liked being home. And I got to read my book. I think I told you about that last week, which was kind of cool. I mean, to read a book you wrote is a pretty trippy experience. And I got to listen to music and feed my birds and think about my life and got into kind of a deep spiritual place. So now I'm ready. I'm ready for, you know, the crazy chazerai of New York. I'm trying to see if I can keep some of that spiritual stuff. Use it like gasoline for the chazarai, You know what I mean? So I don't know what you do if you ever get yourself into a spiritual place, maybe in a yoga class Or maybe if you go to church, or maybe if you go to a meditation retreat. But then afterwards, how do you keep it? Not so easy. So I'm working on that. I'm not saying I'm an expert. But what I've been trying to do is just keep some quiet time to myself. And if I don't have the quiet time to myself, just kind of, well, go in a corner and pretend. You know what I mean? Just trying to hang on to my little bit of peace and tranquility as best I can. Now, today was kind of a trippy day. I'm going to tell you about it. But some of you have been listening to my show for a while. You know that my sister, Yaya, passed away last year. Very shocking and very sad. And she was very young, only 59 years old, which I believe is far too young to pass away. I mean... I was upset when my dad passed away, and he was just about to turn 90, so maybe no age is fine, but 59, that that really kind of stinks on ice. My mother would say that, you stink on ice, which I never understood. What the hell does that mean, you stink on ice? And someone said it was some sort of a reference to in the fish store, that if you put a piece of fish on a block of ice and it still stunk, you know, probably it's no good, you know? Anyway, but I digress. Anyway, to lose my sister at the age of 59 stinks on ice. It really does. And she would agree. But today, for the very first time, I got to see something that I've been working on. So I have been, I tried really, 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 for most of my adult life, I tried to help my sister. I tried to save her. I tried to care for her. She was a, a very, very difficult person to love because she was tortured by some inner demons and I'm hoping that she's free and happy and light and airy now. But her life was not easy like I wanted it to be. And I spent my adult life trying to help her and trying to save her. And I know that she knew and I know that she knew how much I loved her. And I know that she knew how much I tried, but it wasn't easy. And so Since I lost her, what I wanted to do was honor her, and the best way to do that was to give her the tombstone of the gods. I'm talking a kick-ass, awesome tombstone. So luckily for me, she left um, a will saying how she wanted her tombstone to be and what she wanted on it, so that was very helpful. But to go above and beyond and get the very best gorgeous stone, huge and beautiful with the best carvers and the best artwork. And I'm telling you, like if you were a billionaire, you would not have gotten a nicer tombstone than this. And the best thing about it, aside from how gorgeous the stone and the writing and the carving and everything was, that um, she had three things she wanted on the stone she wanted a guitar because she played guitar and sang for many years. She wanted a rose because she loved roses. And she wanted an 18-wheeler because my sister once drove an 18-wheeler. It was kind of the most amazing thing. So you've got a picture if you're old enough to remember that show WKRP in Cincinnati, the Loni Anderson character. So that was my sister. She had tight jeans and high heels and bleach blonde hair and, you know, rabbit fur coat. I mean, she really was a femme fatale from hell, you know. And when she announced one day that she was going to go to 18-wheeler truck driving school, like no one believed her. I certainly didn't believe her because honestly, she could hardly drive. I mean, she was certainly at that point in her life, a pretty terrible driver. So to think about, driving an 18-wheeler. It just didn't make sense, so I just didn't believe her. And then one day she shows up, and guess what? She graduated from truck driving school. It was the craziest thing. And she got a job driving an 18-wheeler. She shows up, boop, boop. She had an 18-wheeler. Crazy, right? I've never been as blown away by anything in my entire life. So I got to say, I have to give her credit because... That is not for the faint of heart, but she really, really, truly did it. And she, in fact, went and started her career as a truck driver. And it didn't work out too well. Now, the reason it didn't work out too well is, well, we grew up traveling all around the country. My father had a Ford pickup truck. My parents bought an El Dorado camper that fit over the truck like a hermit shell. And so my parents would shove us in the camper in the top, and they'd sit in the front of the truck with the air conditioner, My sister, Yaya, and I would be in the overhang, dying, sweltering in the heat with no air conditioner. And my brother would be at this bed that was in the crawl space to the front, sucking in all the air conditioning that would blow in. So he had kind of the cushy spot. Yaya and I were sweltering up top. And as hot and miserable as we were, we were both enjoying having our privacy from my parents and from my obnoxious baby brother. And we traveled all over the country. Now, there were all sorts of expensive hotels we could have gone to and posh places, but uh uh-uh, uh, none of that. Either my parents were going to pull into a 24 hour convenience store, like a 7 Eleven, and camp for the night in the camper, which was horrifying, or they would pull into the cheapest campground that there was that was like where people were like living in airstream trailers and smoking bongs and biker gangs were, which now of course I would have loved. And only when we whined and complained and whined and complained forever would they finally reluctantly pull into a motel. But even then it would be the cheapest, crappiest motel there was. And we would just start complaining and whining like eight hours Nine hours of this. Motel, motel with pool, motel. So my father figured if he pulled in late enough, he'd get the room for half price, and usually he would. Except by that point, who cared? We were so tired. We were too tired to play the TV or roll around the shag rug or use the pool, even if they had one. But it was still better than sleeping in the parking lot of a 7 Eleven or whatever the 24 hour convenience store they had in, you know, Kentucky was. But so this was part of our formative years, driving all around the country like that. So when Yaya became an 18-wheeler driver, a full-blown CB talk and truck driver, she got a job to deliver these fish sticks. I think they were Mrs. Paul's fish, fish sticks. All the way to Cincinnati which sounds far away, but I think that truck drivers can do that trip in like 14 hours or 16 hours. or I don't know, maybe even eight hours. I don't know, but it's, you know, from Jersey, it's not a million hours. And so she got a serious truck with a cabin that you could sleep in and she hit the road and off she went. But then when she got on the road, she felt like she was on vacation. So she would drive by an amusement park and she would pull in, here comes this 18 wheeler, And she would go on the rides or she'd drive by an outlet store and she would pull in and she would buy some clothes for like half off or cheap or whatever. She'd drive by miniature golf. She'd pull in, you know, she'd play a few rounds of golf. She'd drive by like a, you know, a Wendy's and she'd go and she'd have the salad bar because my mother would have given her a free Wendy's salad bar coupon, I'm sure, or 5,000 of them. My mother loved Wendy's salad bar. Anyway, she would finally pull in to Cincinnati with the Mrs. Mrs. Paul's fish sticks, and she was. They were expecting her. Really, at least maybe if she stopped for lunch or dinner or went slow, maybe they thought sixteen hours. I don't know. Maybe eighteen hours if she had problems on the road. When well, she pulled in six days later and the dry ice had thawed, and the fish sticks had melted, and there was water dripping out the back of the truck. And she pulls in, and she could not understand why they were mad at her. She really couldn't understand why she lost that job driving the 18-wheeler, like, in these long distances. So she felt that they were anti-Semitic, and that's why it happened. I felt it had a lot more to do with the fact that she took six days to get to Cincinnati and all the fish sticks melted. So that was kind of the end of that career. But it doesn't take away how awesome it was that she did it. It was kind of amazing. I mean, she really could do these unbelievable, amazing things. So she decided on her tombstone she wanted an 18-wheeler. So she wanted a guitar, the rose, and an 18-wheeler. Now, maybe there's somebody in a cemetery somewhere that has an 18-wheeler on their tombstone. But I doubt you will find that anywhere else in a Jewish cemetery. I've certainly never seen it, and you never have either. And having all the conversations with the directors and the carver, you know, about the carving, I mean, it was very, very hard and difficult over many, many conversations to communicate this to these old world craftsmen, these Orthodox Jews who were doing this beautiful work. They're like, a what? An 18-wheeler? Well, they did it. They did everything I asked for and more. And today I got to see it for the first time. It is just Beautiful there's this giant, gorgeous, beautiful stone with everything beautiful on it, and the guitar, and the rose, and the 18-wheeler. And I know that Yaya would have loved it, and I, what I really love is knowing, like, my great-grandparents are in this cemetery in the same, probably 10 feet from her, and my grandparents, you know, it's like more than 100 years of my family. My great-grandparents, I guess they were born in the 1800s. I mean, this is like a lot of my family. And here we have in this old world Jewish cemetery, this gorgeous, beautiful stone that will be there for eternity, for hundreds of years. I know it. Maybe a thousand years. I don't know. And there it is with the 18-wheeler. And I know... I know that Yaya would be very happy about that. I'd love to see the video of all the people going by. You know, and here we are, the, you know, the Goldbergs and the Goldsteins and the Rosenthals and the Rosenfells. And here we are, beloved daughter, beloved son, beloved wife, yada, yada, Jewish this, Jewish that. And all of a sudden, here's this 18-wheeler. It just makes me so happy. So that's what I'm thinking about today. Anyway, so today I haven't talked about food at all. I've been all spiritual and weird and about my sister and the 18-wheeler. And I suppose you're like, are we ever going to talk about food? And I'm like, do I have to? All right, I have to. Next week, I'm making latkes. I mean, lots of them. And when I say I'm making latkes, that means I'm asking everyone in my kitchen to make them while I supervise because I get to be the poobah. But we're making gluten-free latkes. So latkes are potato pancakes if you're not in the know. And we're going to grate russet potatoes because they make the best latkes. And we're going to grate onions. And we're going to do it in the machine because we have a life. And afterwards, we're going to put them in a dish towel and Mm -hmm. ring and ring and ring till we get all of the liquid out. That's the secret. And then we're going to mix the grated onion and grated potato with eggs because why not? And we're going to do, we can either do gluten-free flour. And if it was not Passover, I would do gluten-free matzo meal, but it's not Passover. So we're going to do gluten-free flour and salt and pepper until we get a nice, thick, gorgeous batter. And then we're going to drop it by the spoonful in a quarter inch of hot oil. And we're probably going to do them in our beautiful, beautiful frying pans. The ones that you get the sexy latkes with. Now, I think, you know, there's all sorts of people have, everyone has an opinion about latkes, but this is just great. It's great and it's grated. The trick is just to wring the water and the liquid out and save the potato starch that kind of is in the bottom of the bowl and put that back in. But I cheat because I have a bag of potato starch and I add that in. And then we're going to just fry the beautiful latkes by the spoonful because we want them a little bit larger than our d'oeuvre size. At that point, to tell you the truth, you won't believe it, you could, after you make them, you could put them in the freezer and have them a month later. We're not going to do that, but you could. Then we're going to serve them with my fabulous homemade applesauce and sour cream. But we're doing a whole latke station. So we're also going to give onion jam and scallions and smoked salmon. It's just going to be a sexy, beautiful thing. So, anyway, there I talked about food. You happy now? Did I suffer enough for you for crying out loud? Anyway, today's show is dedicated to Yaya, but it's also dedicated to that kind of spirit. When everyone said, no way can you do it, she went to 18-wheeler truck driving school. I mean, it's unbelievable. And she drove this truck and she, you know, what can I say? It's kind of an amazing thing. And I also think it's kind of cool that she went on a six day vacation while all the fish sticks were melting in the back. That just cracks me up. And I think it kind of cracked her up too. So, in honor of Yaya, I say just live every day of your life and do something zany and wild and wonderful and a little crazy. Why not? Because life is short. You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? You like that? You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? Anyway. Food is love, and so are you. All right, I'm shutting up now. Adios.